Well, for good or bad, after today, we'll take a bit of a hiatus from our review of the uh, Revelation churches and uh, spiritual practices. Next week will be Palm Sunday. We'll consider Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and the events of that week. Uh, The first Sunday of uh, April is Easter, and we'll celebrate the resurrection together that day. The following week, our focus will be on Jesus' appearance after the resurrection. So uh, that means that uh, our current plan leaves us with two churches left uh, in Revelation after today to consider. And I think we'll look at those the last two Sundays of April. So if you're thinking, Pastor, let's get out of Revelation churches for a little while... It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Uh, then we'll we'll return and, and finish it up, and and uh, then I'm, I'm I'm thinking what we'll what we may do. Well, I don't know yet, to, to be honest with you, for sure. I'm praying through some praying through some stuff, but excited about what the uh, remainder of spring and, and summer uh, have in store for us, for sure. The risk of uh, looking too far ahead, we'll go back to where we are right now. You'll remember what we've done is try to associate a specific spiritual practice with each of, to this point, four, after today, five of the seven churches in Revelation. It's a very subjective uh, series. Meaning that I would fully recognize that someone could come along and say, no, Sardis, it's not the practice of prayer that they should have participated in. They would have been better served with the practice of of fasting, like we talked about last week, or or simplicity, or whatever the case may be. That said, said, I think it's been interesting to, to look at the condition and the culture and the uh, problems that... Uh, these uh, seven churches face, and then try to say, well, well what, what is, what is the, the practice that they could emphasize in their life in order to progress in their track toward godliness? The idea, of course, being that we too would look at our own lives and say, well, what about me? What about me? What is the practice that uh, the Spirit of God may be stirring my own heart uh, to participate in on a very intentional way? I hope that's been true of you. I always feel like that uh, uh, the, the, reason, the reason that this approach is, is maybe not as widespread as I thought it may be when I first began to consider it is that, it, especially with a sermon, it gives you just enough time to, to kind of understand what the city looked like and then move on to the practice, uh, just enough time to, to barely mention that. So hopefully even with just kind of a high-level view of each, it's been helpful to spur uh, your imagination Uh, to stir your heart into what God may be calling you to do. Today, after we've considered uh, Ephesus and meditation, Smyrna and simplicity, Pergamum and study, and then last week, Thyatira and fasting, today we'll consider Jesus' words to the church in Sardis. Hear these words from Revelation 3. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have been, or you have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. 
Remember then what you've received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what do we know about Sardis? I tried this one on Dana today. We'll see if it goes better. First, I can all but fully confirm that the residents of Sardis were not, in fact, called Sardines. She had an equal response. I'll, I'll shelve that one from, from now on. But it was, a, it was a very wealthy city and uh, a center of trade in first century Asia Minor. Elijah showed me how to do this the other day. Let me see if I can figure this out. There we go. No, hold There we go. So Sardis is right here. And these are the major roads, the red or the orange on the map, are the major roads of uh, the ancient Roman world. And you can kind of see how Sardis, so I think the, uh, the dot for Sardis is actually right here, which shows even better. You have this road from Pergamum. You have this road from Smyrna. You have these roads from Laodicea and from the east heading to the west, where Sardis was something of a convergence point for many of the roads. In fact, uh, I think what, what I saw was that there were probably about five uh, major roads that Sardis would be, would be included uh, on the route for. So with that said... All of the roads led to travel, and travel includes people, obviously, and people have money. And so you can imagine that Sardis, it was almost impossible uh, for them in some ways not to be a magnet for wealth. The other element of Sardis that I found interesting in my review is that watchfulness. Did you catch, did you catch the message of the Lord to the church in Sardis? Wake up! Look out! You look like you're alive, but you're dead. Open your eyes. Watchfulness and the risk of not doing so would have been deep in the psyche of the city of Sardis. You see, almost 600 years prior to the writing of Revelation, the Persian Empire, marching from the west, this side of the map, coming this way, the Persian Empire, Empire. You remember Babylon, remember the, the 587 BC uh, Jerusalem falls to the Babylonians. The Babylonians were then captured by Cyrus, the leader of the Persian Empire, and then that empire just was heading west, seeing what else that they could accumulate. Sardis was part of the path that, Sardis, or that Cyrus was uh, leading his army on. It was a very a well-fortified city. 
And it was assured within ancient prophecies that its fortifications would be impossible to overcome. And so the people of Sardis were convinced that they were set. I mean, they, they looked around. Who, who's going to capture it? We, Cyrus. Who's Cyrus? He's not going to be able to, to overcome all that we have in our city. And, and besides, we have this ancient prophecy that says that we're safe. And so they just kind of relaxed. Well, Cyrus saw this city, this fortified city in front of his army, and he offered a large rewards to the first soldiers who could ascend the fortress. And eventually, a Persian soldier climbed a section of the wall, which was virtually unprotected. The people of Sardis became a little bit lazy and a little bit lackadaisical in, 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 the, in the strength of their fortification and overestimated how secure they really were. They assumed that the section of the wall that was climbed was too steep, making the city almost impossible to invade. But it wasn't true. And eventually Sardis did fall to the Persians. So this inability to keep watch effectively that the Lord instructs the people of Sardis to do 600 years later, 500 years later, would have been like, uh, let's see, what would be the equivalent? You know, for, for us, the uh, the, uh, the revolutionary called the British are coming, the British are coming, Paul Revere, I think. Oh, we've heard this before. So 600 years later, the Lord provides them this message that we read just a moment ago. At that point, a whole different empire is ruling them. At that point, it was the Romans who were ruling them. Their laxness was true now of the city itself, but not relative to military fortifications. By the first century, its people were notoriously loose-living, pleasure-seeking, and luxury-obsessed. The great wealth of the city led to a relatively easy life. And the church was naturally impacted by this also. It was unthreatened by much of what we've considered the other cities were up against. The, the persecution and, 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 and kind of the, uh, the, the empire worship that, that was part of the culture of the other cities wasn't really true in Sardis. But it was, in, in that it was virtually untroubled from without. There was no risk, there was no, there was no pressure from outside of the church led to a church that was dead within. So what was it? What is it? What could it be that a church like that could benefit from? Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think that quote comes from Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as he instructed uh, Peter, James, and John to join him in praying. Watch and pray. Watchfulness was commanded in the text to the church in Sardis. So too would be prayer. Let's consider this vital spiritual discipline for just a, a few moments. The 
writings or quotes or sermons on prayer would be nearly inexhaustible, but here are a few that I found over the last few weeks that I found especially challenging or encouraging. William Carey, the father of the modern mission movement, wrote, Prayer, secret, fervent, believing prayer lies at the root of all personal godliness. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, said, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. And then Richard Foster, a theologian and author with a particular focus on the subject of the spiritual disciplines, wrote, all who have walked with God have viewed prayer as the main business of their lives. Prayer is the central means that God uses to transform us. Prayer is the central means that God uses to transform us. The truth of this statement, and remember, remember our kind of our, our, our uh, premise with the spiritual practices, is that they are not some some magic word or magic key or, or, oh, God loves us more as a result of X, Y, or Z. The spiritual practices simply put us in the presence of God, most often in a way that is uh, with an intentionality that doesn't exist apart from them. And prayer provides us opportunity for ongoing communion with the Lord, maybe in a way that no other practice does. So as we spend time conversing with God, we'll see our thoughts and eventually our actions begin to morph into his. You ever catch yourself, you ever catch yourself spending time around someone? Some of you probably don't even realize it. And I am probably true of me too. I think of people like Dana, right? Where, where I, will, I will all of a sudden use a phrase that I've heard her say subconsciously her uh, uh, phrases or, 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 or language or, or turns of words become mine because I've heard them so often. That may be true of, of you with a spouse that has died years ago <laughs> or a friend that you haven't seen for a long time, but you, you used to spend time around them and, 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 and their, their language or their way of thinking or, or their quirks, whatever you want to call them, become yours because of the way we rub off on each other. I don't want to simplify it too much, but prayer is not that much different than that. As we spend time conversing with God, our thoughts and eventually our actions begin to morph into His. If you're like me, sometimes discussion about prayer and, and thoughts about the prayer lives of spiritual giants can honestly be somewhat discouraging. When held up against my life, I see I am greatly lacking. So it's vital that we recall God always meets us where we are and slowly moves us along into deeper things. So I want to encourage you today. If you're like me and your prayer life needs to improve, that's the first step. 
recognizing that there is room for growth. That said, a reading of the Gospels shows us Jesus as an example of one who prioritized prayer and expects, even commands prayer, be a major part of our lives as well. I'd venture to say there has been nothing I have said today, this morning, that you didn't already know about prayer. But we find ourselves lacking. Why is that? Why is that? Well, for me, sometimes it's a lack of discipline. It's a lack of doing the work of prayer. It's distraction with other things. Some of them good. Some of them important. I was reading a, a book. Uh, because some of you, we, we've heard that phrase, pray without ceasing. And you think, well, shoot, I'm never going to get that down. So I'm just going to give up now. Give up before the race begins. Reading a, a, uh, a thought by one author. I wish I would have noted it down. I have it on the desk. I should have so I could give him credit. But he said he, he decided he would train his mind to spend one second of every minute thinking about Jesus. <laughs> one second of every minute thinking about Jesus. And, and he was writing about kind of the initial challenge of that. But soon he, he found that, that as, as, as he would think, and, and, and obviously within the, the first Weeks, months, maybe years, it wasn't true, but he would always find it, oh yeah, I need, I need to get my, my second in, I need to get my second in. And, and soon he found that the life and the teachings and the ways of Jesus just began to, to kind of naturally permeate his mind. But it took a willingness. It took a willingness to engage in the work. Maybe the same is true of us in regard to prayer. Sometimes, sometimes our prayer life is lacking because if we get right down to it, well, we, we are doubtful anything will come about as a result. We question kind of a what's the use approach. Other times there is a sense that God is distant. And because of that, the work of prayer seems a little extra strenuous. I think we need to guard against making the practice of prayer too complicated. Jesus taught us to come like a child to his or her loving father. This underscores our honesty and confidence as we pray. I think of my own kids, Catherine in particular, comes to me and I'm hungry. That's all sometimes, right? With the expectation, with the expectation, I want to be careful here of putting myself somehow equating my putting myself in this analogy in the, in the place of God, but it, it it I think it helps in some degree. She has a confidence that all she needs to say is, "I'm hungry. I have a need," and then she doesn't she she doesn't then lay out for me, you know. Well, as, as, my, as my daddy, you have a responsibility to provide what I need and da 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 da, da, da and kind of try to, try to reason with me and, and convince me or sway me to, to get her some applesauce or animal crackers or whatever it is. She comes to me 
because of the relationship that we have and the trust that she has in me to meet her needs. So she comes with honesty and confidence. Two important elements of our prayer life with the Lord. To come to Him knowing that He sees us as His beloved children. So we come to Him knowing that He is able to provide each and every need that we have. What can we pray for? Here are just a couple of things that came to to my mind. I think one of the one of the most important things that we can pray for strong marriages that God would implant on the hearts of those engaged in the ministry of a household the commitment that they've made to each other and the far-reaching ramifications that that house can have. For some, that means praying for your own marriage. For some, that includes praying for the marriages of those that you love. I want us to be about praying for our church and our time of worship. That God's Spirit would take what is done, and I'm not talking about the 15 or 20 minutes that I speak. I think, I think the, 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 whole, the whole experience, if you will, of our time of worship is meant to bend our hearts to the Spirit of God. Pray that we come with a sense of willingness to be encountered by that Spirit. Maybe the next one I didn't even need to put up here for some of you. Pray for your kids. Pray for your grandkids. Your great-grandkids. There are, there are times that I, I am just, just barely beginning to get a peek into what it's like to think about what happens. In fact, I had a conversation this week with a, with a guy who's older than I am. His kids are older than mine, and he was talking to me about kind of the, the, uh, oh, the, the segments of parenthood. How when they're little, little, you, you think, oh, it's going to be nice when they begin to walk and can do some things on their own. I don't have to carry them everywhere they go. And, and then that happens, and you think, oh, boy, I kind of miss when they were stationary, right? And then they get older and begin to, uh, to, 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 to see that there is a world outside of your house. And he said, you always worry about your kids, Jonathan. It just depends what kind of, of worry that you're engaged in. There's much that the world has to offer that we want to pray that God gives our children uh, good discernment, children and grandchildren. What are the evils of the world that break your heart? What are those news stories that you just can't finish reading because it's going to make you too sad? Maybe the Spirit is stirring your heart to engage in prayer regarding those type of things. I think of the, uh, the accounts of 
uh, abuse on the weakest of society. Okay, you know, you just you just come away thinking, how 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 can that exist? Maybe God is calling you to pray about that very thing. All right, time for me to to wrap it up. So, don't wait until you feel like praying to start praying, though. (laughs) Prioritize it now. Maybe, Maybe over the next two weeks, maybe over the next two weeks as we lead up to Easter, maybe God would call you to to set aside a time where you can engage in prayer. And I'm going to stop with, with this. Sometimes when, when I try to sit down and I just try to pray in my, in my head, as we say, I find myself, you know, okay, you know, Lord, I, I pray for Dana and Jonah and Elijah and Catherine. And we'll see, what time are we supposed to be to soccer practice tonight? Did I send that email to Linda? I was going to send her about the... The, the, the sermon did I wonder if uh, I wonder if we got our mortgage payment sent off right and, and, and your your mind just begins to, to wander tell you what maybe if you're like me and, and you find yourself going down that path write your prayer out just write it out be like a letter begin it dear Lord and write because for me, the, 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 the discipline of writing, it, helped, it helps me focus in on what I'm doing in a way that kind of, the, the, kind of that just random praying is more difficult. The other thing, I told you I was going to be done, but the other thing I've, I've started doing is, especially now with it warming up outside, find a place, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe you could go to a, a track, take a few laps, walk down your street, and pray. Engage in that physical activity and pray as you go. Maybe you see a, a, light, a light post or whatever it is down the road and you say, I'm going to pray for the marriages of, in my own house and my children until I get to that light pole. And then you see the next one and you think, I'm going to pray for our church until the next light post. Maybe God is stirring up in us, each as individuals and as a church, a commitment to prayer. Commitment to prayer, even over the next two weeks. Lord, as we...